Welcome back, everybody, to Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me tonight, as always, is Luca. Luca, how's it going? Um, Not as good as I hope to be as we sit here on Sunday night discussing things. I'm excited, though, that we're in a format now where we get an immediate reaction to a game day. And uh, excited to jump right into that, I guess, if you want to say excited. There, there's a lot to react to. So the Bills lost to the Miami Dolphins, take their first loss of the season, 21 to 19 on Sunday afternoon. We are going to get into all of it, everything that happened, some of the injuries that happened in the game, some of the injuries that happened before the game started. We're going to talk about some key storylines. But Luca, I wanted to throw something to you right at the get go. So this game ended with Isaiah McKenzie catching a pass from Josh Allen, getting tackled right around the Dolphins' 40-yard line. The Bills are unable to get up there and clock the ball before, uh, so they can maybe get like a, a long Tyler Bass field goal off. Time runs out. As the game's ending, what is your instant reaction to this game? Where, where's your head at? Where's your head going to? What are you thinking about as the game ends? So my immediate reaction was essentially... Obviously, the disappointment of defeat, um, of course, and that initial just thought of how the hell did this game get away from us? Where did it go wrong? Like your head just starts spinning a million miles a minute. Um, What I will say is the first thing, and this will probably kick into eventually what we discuss soon here, but the first thing that my head came down to was, damn, would have been really nice to have that field goal at the end of the first half. Like just instantly, that's where my head went to. Just in again, I want to say field goal attempt. Even we, let's not assume points around the board or anything of that nature. We I cannot remember exactly where it was on the field at the end of the first half and stuff. And we'll dive into that more. But at least it would have been an attempt, a decent attempt. Who knows what would have happened? But it, that's kind of where my head went at. Just the instant, just feeling of defeat and just kind of that emptiness. Though, just where did it go wrong? How did we end up here? is just everything kind of just started spinning around my head a million miles a minute. Like I couldn't even get directly into the four o'clock games. I kind of needed to sit there for five, 10 minutes to process everything before I could then, you know, refocus or kind of even just try to forget, I guess a little bit of the emotions of that game and dive into all the four o'clock slate with fantasy bets and all the other fun jazz that we enjoy as football fans. Um, But yeah, it was tough. I won't say that it was extremely tough. It's a week three game, and I definitely got my head around that very quick, or it came to very quick um, with everything. You know, it's you can't lose the championship in September, and that's kind of eventually where my head rested as I then went to enjoy the other week three slate at 4 o'clock and 425 kickoffs. But um, the right after that final, you know, second ticked and we weren't able to get the spike and all that fun stuff or not so fun stuff. Um, yeah, just a little bit of emptiness. And then my head just started spinning a million miles a minute about where did we go wrong? Yeah. So right when the game ended, I was mad and probably like a lot of bills fans. So McKenzie gets tackled and your head goes immediately to the clock and you're thinking, okay, there's 10 seconds left. They can get this done. And then you're watching McKenzie and you see a couple of dolphins bat at the ball to kind of slow him down as he's trying to run and hand it to the ref. He hands it to the ref. And look, I'm watching this through the lens of somebody who really wants the Bills to win. So I'm watching this ref take the ball from McKenzie to go spot it. 
And it sure doesn't look like he's running full speed. And look, I'm not going to go into some kind of official conspiracy theory, but the emotions after the game, I'm screaming, can you hurry the bleep up? You know what? I'm actually screaming down there. And, but it became pretty apparent they weren't going to get the playoff. And at some point I thought there was actually a chance that they would get a snap off, but not have time for a spike and thought maybe Allen would just be like, Hey, I'm going to run back and just chuck it to the end zone and see what happens. But that did not happen either. And you could just see the team was gassed. It did not take me long though, Luca, to get past that initial frustration of like, shoot, we just lost this game. The bills had every opportunity to win this game. And to really start thinking about like, well, what happens next? Because we already know Josh Allen at one point had his had his hand looked at. The Bills lost a handful of players to injuries this game, and they are only seven days away from their next game. And what's this roster going to be looking like? And we're going to get into all of that. All right, Luca, one question for you again, before we drill down and really roll up our sleeves and get into it. So with these division games, you play these teams twice a year. So sometimes they can run together. So if the Bills are playing a team in, say, like the NFC that they only see once every four years, if you and I are talking about like, hey, remember the last time the Bills played the Cardinals? It's pretty easy to remember. Oh, yeah. Hail Murray. Remember that. Last time the Bills played the Seahawks, it was, oh, that was the, the day after Josh Allen's grandma died. And then he went out and just blew up the Seahawks. And it was a pretty cool game. Um, but like when you're like, hey, remember the 2002 game against Miami? You really have to be like, oh, wait, which one is that? So a lot of times these games have themes to them. So think about the 2020 Patriots, right? If you're thinking like, hey, remember the 2020 Bills Patriots game? No, which one was that? Well, the one where Cam Newton fumbled at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. Or remember the one in Foxborough that year? No, no, what happened there? Oh, that was the one where Bill Belichick slams the phone down on the sideline. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Luca, five years from now, when you and I and all our friends are talking about this game and I want to bring up something from this game. And you're like, now, which Miami game are you talking about, Josh? What's going to be the one thing from this game that's going to be the descriptor that, that you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that game. Uh, 90 plays offensively in a loss. OK, <laughs> that's, that's a good one. Yeah, that's I'm honestly when I heard that number. When, I, when uh, I think it was my buddy, Joel, uh, I mean, the only two buddies over this week were Joel and Joel. So we're just going to remember there's one Joel, one golf uh, Joel, like goes bills had 90 plays offensively. And I looked at him, I'm like, what's the record? Looked it up. I want to say it was 94 in a regular season game of 60 minutes, like it, or 96, something like that. So I knew it was like, man, that's a significantly high number. And the fact that we had 90 plays offensively and had 40 minutes of time of possession and yet found a way to lose. Um, I'm not. And again, I say find a way to lose all credit to Miami. When you win a game, you win a game. I'm, I want to just preface that right out the gate. I am not trying to slander Miami in this. They won. Um, but 90 plays offensively, 40 minutes of time possession. You look at that kind of like team statistic and then you put to a, an L with it. Like it's just absolutely head scratching. That's kind of where my head goes. It's a dominant offensive performance statistically outside of the scoreboard. So if someone were to just call this the 90 play game, I would know exactly what they were talking about. There are there are definitely other things of note that probably would spark the memory of it. But I think your point on divisional games is great. It actually takes a play. It takes a series. It takes a, a moment to remember them, because if you just put the date or year and then team with it, you're like, well, one, there's two. You know, you get them twice every year. And on top of that, they kind of all muddle together because it happens every season. And this game, 
it will definitely be one. I mean, it's significant enough where it's a fact of, look, this is the second time Josh Allen has ever lost to Miami. But on top of it, it, you know, it took an interesting series of events and a lot of things happened in this game that kind of got us to where we are now. The just to me, though, and to wrap the point up, though, I really do look at that. I mean, 90 plays to 39, 497 yards total to 212, things like that. You're like, how in the world do we find ourselves sitting here Sunday night, East Time, 948 p.m., discussing the Bills losing to the Dolphins? It just doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. When you look at it from that lens. Okay, so you asked a great question, and Luca, I have an answer for you. How do you lose a game that you dominate so much? And I have a number of answers for you. One, you miss a chip shot 38-yard field goal at the end of the first half, or in the middle of the first half. Two, you have a backup center in that has multiple snap issues, including one at the end of the first half that leads to your star quarterback unable to spike the ball to stop the clock. Thus, time runs out in the first half and they can't kick a field goal. Field goals are worth three points. The Bills now have just thrown away two field goal opportunities. They end up losing by two. Your sure-handed wide receiver, Gabe Davis, who I don't think I've ever seen drop a pass, drops two in this game, including one in the end zone. Josh Allen, who was doing everything perfect this game as far as hitting lasers, hitting accurate passes, game on the line in what looked like the last play of the game, throws a pass to Isaiah McKenzie wide open in the corner of the end zone, and he slides it to him on the ground instead of throws it to him. Um, A wild end of game sequence where it looks like maybe the Bills misjudged the clock, had a bad penalty. Matt Milano, one of the best playmakers on defense, drops an interception that would have gone for a touchdown. Jaquan Johnson with a very tough, unnecessary roughness penalty in the end zone that gave Miami a new set of downs on what would be their go-ahead touchdown drive, and then just numerous, numerous official calls that seem like went in favor of Miami. We are not a blame the refs kind of show, uh, but this one definitely felt like a lot of the key calls this game went against the Bills. So Luca, I just laid out a bunch of things that went wrong against the Bills this game. A lot of situations that could be something that you're thinking about the next couple of days when you're asking yourself how and why, and maybe even saying, what if, which one of those moments to you is going to be the one that when you put your head to the pillow tonight and you're thinking, man, if they'd only done this, which is the one that's going to keep you up tonight? Um, I don't think it's just one. I really don't. I'm going to pick two out of this. They're all great examples that you just listed here. Um, the first, the first one, and just to be simplistic about it, this is the one that I think overall is just like, oh my God, that's something we haven't seen out of Allen potentially ever. And just at least it's been a long time. The, the dirt ball to McKenzie on fourth and goal where it just, I mean, it happened in it. So you asked how I felt after the game ended. Honestly, where I was a little, the where I was the most empty was after that pass because I really couldn't process what had all happened. That is not, I'm used to, you know, Allen throwing too fast of a ball or too high of a ball or things of that nature where it almost seems like the classic gunslinger just is running on adrenaline and just something happened where he missed the throw due to it was too much arm. Not, look, it was, it was a tight spiral and it was thrown hard. But, it, you know, he didn't get his back foot planted. He kind of hesitated. He kind of double double hitched it a little bit in his arm. And it ended up being, you know, three to five yards short of McKenzie. And it might have even double skipped by the time it got to McKenzie's feet. It, it, it was such a weird, weird play that I couldn't believe it. And um, I know it'll be most likely brought up a little bit more later on or something. But 
it, it's just that was one. The other one though that really gets me too that I I just I'm still trying to figure out is I I had to look this up. I had I had to look into this more. The at the end of the first half where Allen kind of you know fumbles that snap, and it, and again I I use the word or the term fumble lightly because I don't think that ball ever touched the ground. So because of that, and I had to look this up, and I'll get into this in a second. I'm like, did Allen misunderstand what was going on or what that would have been? Because if you were to be Josh Allen in that moment, or if you are Josh Allen in that moment, you you fumble the snap around a little bit, but then you just kind of like throw your hand down and get it down. Will the ref give that to you? Because my answer is yes. As long as it didn't touch the ground, as long as it doesn't signify as something other than just kind of like a little bit of a mismanaged snap, I'm almost positive the ref gives it to you. And then I had to look up the rule on like, when is a uh, spike acceptable and when is it not? And basically the rule, you know, rule eight, section two, article one, play under center is permitted to stop the game clock legally and save time if immediately upon receiving the snap. So immediately when you see that, you're like, okay, immediately when receiving the snap, that doesn't necessarily say it has to be instantaneous. It just immediately after receiving it, which you have to possess it, you can then snap, you can spike it. It has to be a continuous throwing motion until the ball hits the ground. This, you are not allowed to spike a fumble once it hits the ground. You are not allowed to do anything where it comes to like pump fake, then go. It has to be an immediate motion. I don't think any official out there would be like, oh, you know, he fumbled the snap, so immediately it's off. Like you're not allowed to do it anymore. It's still in the process of an exchange. I believe that would be allowed. It would even be, I think it was last week we saw with the Browns, I want to say it was. Maybe it was two weeks ago with the Browns against the Panthers. Yeah, I think it was week one Browns Panthers. We saw in that game where Jacoby Brissett kind of like hitched this the spike and then spiked it. And the official even took the time to go on the mic and be like, it looked like he was, you know, basically said that he kind of struggled to receive the snap briefly. And then he spiked the ball. They awarded it to him stoppage of clock. So I really feel like Josh, those two examples are now going to lead into what I'm going to get at as a whole. I don't think Josh Allen's head this game was as sharp and as focused and everything as you would expect, whether that's the heat, whether that's the emotions, whatever it may have been. And it was probably a combination of a lot of things. He just wasn't as sharp as you would expect. It wasn't all there. And I'm not saying that he was, you know, sick. I'm not saying that he wasn't focused. I, I blame the heat a little bit. You know, it seemed to be getting to a lot of players. And obviously we saw that personal foul call that we don't really need to get into. It didn't affect much on that drive even. But things like that, Josh Allen is not known to have happen. And I just think the game and the heat and everything just kind of got to him where those little details were starting to get lost. Or maybe he couldn't even trust fully what was going on in, say, the McKenzie example that he had to double hitch that. And that's what ended up dirtying the ball. There, there seems to be something with Allen in this game that was just a little bit off, we'll call it. Like it wasn't that he wasn't bad. I mean, you cannot account for over 400 yards of your team's offense and be considered bad. But I don't think he was 100% as sharp as you come to expect with Josh Allen. And those are just a couple examples of what my head kind of goes to. And ultimately, the plays that stand out to me as significant and kind of the ones I can get my head around them, but they're still the ones that I highlight and I really look at and I go, damn. Those are tough ones to explain. They're really hard to just swallow and accept and just be like, you win some, you lose some with it. And it's 
it is what it is. We're here sitting talking about a loss. We're going to keep talking about it. But those are the ones kind of like to answer your question. Those are the ones that really stand out to me. Those are the memories or the moments that I'm going to kind of highlight as what stands out in this game. You bring up a good point about the spike at the end of the first half, because to your point, the letter of the law, Allen makes the right play because the way the, the rule is written, if you fumble the snap there and, and then you go to spike it, that is in, considered intentional grounding. If the clock's running, it's a 10 second runoff. The half is over. I think you're right, Luca. I think the letter of the law versus the spirit of the rule, the spirit of the rule and even the, the vantage point of the official, can they even see that he bobbled it? If he just quickly enough spikes it to the ground, is he good to go? I've seen some people say like, oh, he should have just picked it up and thrown it over Stefan Diggs' head. The problem with that is the clock was really ticking down. The clock doesn't stop in that scenario until the ball actually lands out of bounds. I know it sounds weird, but if he were to just like chuck it over Diggs' head, that's another two or three seconds while the ball's in the air before it like hits a cheerleader or whatever on the sideline. So, you know, that was kind of a, a you know, thank God that Xavier, Xavier Howard did not intercept that and run it back for a touchdown, which is what I thought was going to happen. But overall, I think what's interesting about this, because we're going to talk about next, actually, like how up against it the Bills were with some of these injuries and some of the guys they were running out there that in no way in preseason when we're talking about guys playing in the second and third quarter, are we thinking that they're going to be relying on these guys week three starting against Miami. But some of these guys that were you know, the, the culprits of these, these situations that we talked about, we're talking about Tyler Bass missing a field goal, Josh Allen, um, doing whatever you want to say about the spike, but then missing the pass to McKenzie Diggs had a key drop on the last drive of the game. Milano had a dropped interception. Davis had a drop touchdown. These aren't the backups. These, these aren't the guys that you're thinking, man, these are some inexperienced guys playing defensive back and some inexperienced guys on the defensive line or some of the offensive linemen that subbed in. We will talk about an offensive lineman that subbed in that had a really bad day. Um, but no, like some of the more memorable moments were by your key guys. And Luca, I think when we look back on this game, I think to kind of answer my own question, I think the way I'll remember this game is just like, how almost hilariously injured the Bills were in this game. It got to a point where you, all you could do was laugh as another guy gets hurt, another guy gets hurt, and you're just wondering, like, how are they even going to field a team? But I think secondarily to that, this just to me just reminds me of so many Bills losses recently where when they lose, you don't want to sound like a bitter fan that can't give credit to the other team because like Lucas said, all credit to Miami, they got the win. But when the Bills lose, they just lose stupid games. They lost this game today. So many situations where if one of those plays goes their way, they win the game. We've talked about 13 seconds. Think about the game in Tampa last year where if we get a call in the end zone on digs, we win. And, and the, the Bills end up losing. You know, Think about the New England game where it took basically a monsoon of wind for the Bills to lose. They just they find a way to lose these just really ridiculous, silly games, the block punt against Pittsburgh. And when they win, they go out and they win by double digits. They've won 20 games in a row by double digits. That's an unbelievable stat. But maybe there's something in that stat that says there's something inherent about this team that struggles in close games. And the fact that you have the key guys on this team making big mistakes in this game that ultimately contributed to the loss could be that. But Luca. We have to talk about the injuries in this game. Before we get into that, though, I do want to bring up the heat because it was a real issue. 
And they were saying that the temperatures on the field were up near over 110, 110 degrees on the field. I was surprised, Luca, that there were so many Bills fans that I that we interacted with on Twitter that seemed to not realize that that was the infrastructure of the Miami Dolphins Stadium. Because I know you and I, when they built this stadium or when they built this extension to their stadium, like we talked about it right off the bat, like this is actually pretty genius. They, they have figured out how to align their stadium where they essentially the home sidelines are shaded with where the sun's going to be at at 1 PM. So the home sideline has shade. The away sideline is in the sun. And Luca, I mean, I, if it were my team, I would be super proud of them for thinking of that kind of advantage. It's annoying when it works against your team, but I feel like this is one of those things where you have to tip your cap to the Dolphins. Oh, 100%. Look, home field advantage, as much as you can, whatever is allowed and legal, it is part of the game. It's a reality. Playing in Miami when I'm not a Miami fan, though, has me on the, like the Pat McAfee. Every damn stadium should be a dome. F this, F that, climate controlled, make it a controlled environment. We want to see the best weeks in, weeks out, best teams win, blah, blah, blah. But if you're a Miami fan, if you're if you're a Miami person, like you want to, it's it's the same reasons that Bills fans out here don't want a dome so we don't lose that element or that weather factor here. We don't get our advantage in the early season. We get it come playoff football, come you know November, December, January, if we make it, those situations where coming to Buffalo is not what anyone wants to do. We get our advantage later in the season. Miami gets it bright and early right out the gate. It's why Miami loves to play these big games and these teams early in the season at home. They want to play the Bills week three at home. They want to embrace that advantage. I absolutely tip the cap to the Miami Dolphins and architects and everything that when they put that, like, it's not a roof, but cover roof with a hole, whatever you want to call it. When they put that addition on and they figured out a way to make the Miami Dolphins sideline completely shaded and then the opposition completely in the sun all game for 1 p.m. kickoffs. That is next level thinking. That's critical thinking. That's a great job by the people in those positions by trying to gain an even further advantage that is playing in Miami. Because we remember playing in Miami before that was there, and it was just hot. Like, it was Miami always made sure they wore white because everyone's going to be in the sun, so just give them the jersey advantage. Well, now they get the jersey uniform advantage, and they get the sun advantage. Big, big in play. It does surprise me that people hadn't picked up on that. I don't understand why, especially being a bit. If you're a Bills fan and didn't pick up on that, like it's a division foe. You've we and we've been playing yeah. in Miami early in the season for the past few seasons now. Like that should be something you notice by this time. I'm not being critical of anyone. I'm just I'm with you. I'm very surprised by that. I mean, there's two things going to Miami that you should always know if you're the opposition, especially if you're the one o'clock game. One, you will be in the sun. You need to plan for this. Get as much shade as you are legally allowed to, whatever the circumstances, try to cool your sideline as best as you can. And two, please help your team not suffer from the Miami flu. And I'm not talking about stuff that happens in the game. I'm talking stuff that happens leading into the game. Go um, on. Let's, let's, let's please, for the love of God, not have Isaiah McKenzie checking out the scene the night before. Not blaming him, especially McKenzie. I mean, McKenzie helped me get an anytime touchdown parlay. He clearly did a decent enough job today. He was worthwhile. I'm just saying it seems to be a trend that when opposition goes to Miami, say the night or two nights before, 
all of a sudden they're not to their peak performance or hydrated enough to perform well in that environment. And what it's known and been known for decades now is the Miami flu. It's not an illness. It's not sickness that is going to linger much further past game time, but it's just enough to affect you in that game day to give Miami an advantage. Look, if you live in a place like Miami, you want to have that environment there for them to maybe get a leg up on them. Because I don't think Miami players are going out very often right now with the night before a game. They're probably focused. They're getting ready for game time. It's in their normal routine. Well, now you're taking opposition or the Bills or whoever it is in the circumstance going to a really nice place at a really good time of year, and they're going to enjoy themselves a little bit. Maybe they're confident. Maybe they're overconfident. It doesn't matter. All of a sudden, though, come game time, they don't feel as hydrated or up for it because, well, they're suffering from that. Let me just do it one more time for you, folks. The Miami flu. It is a thing. If you haven't heard of it, you need to hear of it. It's why if you think your team's a seven-point favorite, they're probably a four-point favorite. That's how it goes when you come to Miami. They have legitimate home field advantages. Luckily for us, their early season, well, not in this particular case, but most of the time, it's not a late season thing when you really need a game. This is a week three game we're talking about here. It sucks. You never want to lose. You always want to win. It's the competitive nature in all of us that is being a human being. But we're going to get into it more. This is a week three game, people. Yes, the heat was a lot. Yes, we probably had some players, McKenzie, Spencer Brown, maybe some others that were just suffering from the. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing them for going out. It's just, look, it's a real factor to just keep in mind. Maybe it played a role in them being dehydrated. Maybe not. I'm not blaming them either. If I'm Spencer Brown, a 22 year old stud in Miami with a nice scene out there, I'm probably going to enjoy myself one of the nights while out there because they don't have that in Buffalo. Look, they we do not have South Beach in Buffalo. When you're there, go enjoy it. Just please try to limit the amount of enjoyment. Regardless, not blaming them, but it's factors. They are things that come into play. As a fan, you need to recognize that. Miami has its own home field advantages. Ours just don't come until November, December time when Lake Effect and all of that fun stuff comes into play. Like you mentioned with the New England game, all of a sudden you got to deal with 60, 60 uh, mile per hour winds and it's four degrees, whatever it may be. Like that's our home field advantage. We just don't get that for a few months. Now, look, we're not accusing Isaiah McKenzie or anybody that would just mentioned of going out and partying the night before. That certainly would be irresponsible. But what we're bringing up is the fact that there was a wild scene posted many photos last night of bars being taken over by Bills fans. And Isaiah McKenzie was pictured with a lot of Bills fans that made its way on Twitter. And that's a cool moment. And hey, Isaiah McKenzie had a very good game today. And he could have just been down there checking out the scene. It is worth mentioning, though. I mean, let's just mention what we know. Five Bills left the game today for heat-related issues. This is according to Banged Up Bills. Spencer Brown did not return. Dawson Knox and Isaiah McKenzie left temporarily, had to go into the locker room to get an IV, came back into the game. Stefan Diggs left the game repeatedly with cramps. And it's like he would catch a ball and then have to go out of the game. And then Greg Van Roten, who we will talk about extensively here soon, left the game, eventually got replaced by Greg Mance. It was a brutal day all around for injuries and heat-related injuries, other injuries from today's game. Jake Kumaro left the game with a, a lower body injury, was seeing a walking boot after the game. Christian Benford left the game with an arm injury or a wrist injury. 
or maybe a hand injury. I'm not quite positive, but he had to finish the game in a club because they ran out of bodies. He had to come back in. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Ryan Bates left the game and did not return. And Josh Allen um, had what looked like a hand injury being worked on the sidelines. He has gone for x-rays. We don't know the results of those, but a couple of things. One, Allen did speak in his post-game press conference. If a player has an injury, they're not required to speak in the post-game, so that's a good sign. Allen and McDermott both went out of their way to say Allen is fine, and I will tell you that's huge because Sean McDermott is somebody that if he can at all play it down the middle with injuries, he's going to. So for him to go out of his way to tell you that his franchise quarterback is fine means he's probably fine. All right, Luca, we can't really tell the story of this game without talking about the injuries that were leading up to it, because if you were just following along with the Bills this week, it was a laundry list of injured players that you were just hoping, okay, who's going to be able to play? And as the week went on, it was just one person after the other not being able to play. So the biggest story of the week coming out of the Titans game on Monday were neck injuries to Micah Hyde and Dane Jackson. It looked like both of those guys had sustained serious injuries. It is confirmed that Micah Hyde is out for the year with a neck injury. We certainly wish him the best. He is the heart and soul of the defense, him and Jordan Poyer with the safeties. We can talk about Micah Hyde here near the end of the show. We'll get into that, but I want to talk more about this game here now. We I don't want to like just rush through the Micah Hyde point because there needs to be a larger conversation there about who he is and his impact on the team. And then Ed Oliver was ruled out Friday, which tells me he wasn't particularly close to playing in this game. If he's ruled out Friday, second game missed. He also missed the Titans game. Jordan Phillips was ruled out Friday. And if you saw his hamstring injury on the Milano pick six against the Titans, the way he went down to the ground, you just got the impression that was going to be a multi-week hamstring injury. Dane Jackson was ruled out Friday with a neck. I do think it's somewhat encouraging that Dane Jackson was out there in a red jersey, at least going through some some warm-up drills in practice. He didn't officially practice any day last week, but just out there moving around, probably encouraging. Still no idea when he's going to be able to make his way back to the field, but just you're just so happy that like his injury, the way it looked, was not more serious. Jordan Poyer was questionable coming into the game with a foot injury, and, and Mitch Morse was questionable coming into the game with an elbow injury. I think a lot of us held out hope that those two guys would be able to play based on some of the reports we were seeing on Saturday night. Ian Rappaport had the story that Jordan Poyer was going to be ruled out. I, I take that back. Jeremy Fowler from ESPN, Jordan Poyer was going to be ruled out on then on Sunday morning when they made the inactives announcement, Mitch Morse was inactive. Luca, I was at the park with my nephew. I do that on Sunday mornings. We kind of go throw the ball around and we talk about our fantasy lineups and what we think is going to happen in the games that day. And I checked my phone when the inactives came out and I just let out this big sigh. And he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, well, he's not a Bills fan. So like, you know, you have to kind of remember that when I'm talking to him, he's a Colts fan. I'm just like, there's just so many injuries he's like, yeah, but they're going to beat the Dolphins. And I'm like, dude, he like we're only we're already missing half of our defense. And now we're missing Mitch Morse. I want to circle back quickly, Luca. Mike Shope and the Bulldog Dog had a guest on on Friday, a gambling guest, and they asked him, hey, is this kind of weird that the Bills have all these injuries, but they're still holding firm at this five and a half point favorite, which was interesting. And as the game got closer, the Bills got closer to four. And they're like, so what are the positions that really can impact the point spread? 
And his answer wouldn't surprise you. He says mainly it's quarterback. Quarterback, depending on the player, will have like a two or three point swing. If it's a great quarterback, four or five point swing. But really, there's two things that will impact a point spread in a game. One, cluster injuries, which is essentially two or three players at the same position getting hurt. The other one, and this was interesting, center. He said, center is one of those positions you don't think about, but when a team has an issue there, it pretty much shuts down the entire offense. Luca, I think it's safe to say that the center injury today for the Bills went way out of its way to shut down the offense. It, I mean, you could easily say that it was the most important injury pre-game that affected this game today. It, and and I'm not saying that he's more important to the team than Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and Ed Oliver and all these other guys that missed out. But clearly, I I feel like if you were to re you know run this game back exactly the same circumstances minus Mitch Morse being out and Mitch Morse is able to play. It, and I again, with the way the heat affected everything and what it was going on, who knows if Morse would have even been able to make a full game. He could have been affected by the heat. Who knows? But if he was able to play, I feel like we wouldn't be sitting here talking about the game in such a manner. And that was kind of I, I'm you know, you brought up what you do pregame and stuff like that. Like I sit there and I'm probably betting about 200 to 300 dollars worth of bets parlays single straight bets all that kind of i like to throw the cash around a little bit but um i'm doing it responsibly first and foremost but um i hit a big one just anyone for the record anytime touchdown made about 600 not to boast about me not to boast about me but we did uh moving on i i do all that when the morse stuff came on i literally sat there and watched the line physically move a point i watched it ha- like i was sitting there at like uh and what was it like 9 30 10 o'clock in the morning news hits that morse is going to be out and then i'm watching it and i watched it go from five to four and a half on one of my books and five and a half to four and a half on the other and i was like oh wow that's interesting like i immediately was like i because i didn't catch that clip i didn't catch that you know audio bite very nice to know but i did also like it clicked in my head i'm like okay books makers value that more than Jordan Poyer being out a first team all pro safety and stuff like that. I immediately did connect those dots. And the thing I know as a pretty significant sports better, the books always know more than you think. They always are up on you. Vegas knows more than you. Look, Vegas and that strip and everything we know wouldn't exist if they didn't know a lot more than you. Look, that's just how things work. The world revolves around money and they have a lot of it and they have a lot of it through betting and they just know more than you. So the fact that it moved by a point instantly put that it put that doubt in my head like, are we really about to grind a game? So all week, the thought was we're going to be without a ton of defensive players, all that stuff. The Dolphins could be without a couple key guys as well. Xavier Howard ended up playing, as we know, things of that nature. And every, I remember all my friends and stuff were like, hammer the over, bat the over, 52 and a half, I think it was, during all week. Hit the over, hit the over. I also sprinkled the under because something told me that this center position was going to be a problem. And as you just pointed out, it was a problem. Our offensive line clearly did not really gel the entire time. Things were happening. Spencer Brown was out like he looked bad early and he was out before the first half ended like it it was there was a lot going on a lot of things changed outside of just Mitch Morse but it clearly started there it clearly started that Mitch Morse was not in the center that you know the 
the center to QB exchange was not clean regularly. Um, it was it was clearly a problem. I also remember, and I think you tweeted out from our podcast account, you know, the PFF grades about, you know, Van Roten at center last week and then Mance in his career at center, I believe, with Miami and whatnot. And I remember us discussing this in the preseason and just the thoughts and understanding who these players are going, wow, it's interesting that they're going with Van Roten at center to start this game and not Mance. I don't understand this. Like, I feel like everything tells you now this is just on paper and a little bit of what they've seen in preseason, but everything has told us that Mance is probably that better pure center option. I mean, I feel like even if you want to take the numbers away, take the paper away and just go based on what you have seen, even in that preseason, we're talking about preseason, but preseason, I felt like the offensive line was more comfortable and gelled better when Mance was out there at center. I feel like we had these discussions on our podcast going, yeah, the offensive line looked better with Mance out there at center. So I question that, but at the same time, I've learned not to question everything to a point where I'm critical of it. It's just, they clearly trusted Van Roten to sit there after he stepped in last week. Maybe that's where the thought was, Hey, we did this. It worked out ish. And now we're going to do it this week. Like that's, that's just what we got. We Mance is active just in case, which clearly he was needed as well. Cause at one point you literally had zero offensive linemen not playing in this game. Um, so it, I question it, but yes, the Morse being out thing, probably the biggest pregame impact for the bills. Clearly it's, I don't, I'd find it really hard to believe someone could argue me off that ledge. I, I don't think anyone could approach me right now and tell me that Jordan Poyer being out or Ed Oliver and Jordan Phillips being out affected this game more because I feel like one, our defensive line was good. It wasn't, I, I will say this, the defensive line didn't get as home as much as you expected, but they still did a good job containing as much as they could. They did a good job just managing the game and kept us in it. Everyone defensively for the most part kept us in it. Like it, I'm not going to be critical of anyone on this defense that played that game. So, yeah, I don't know how someone approaches me with a Jordan Poyer argument or anything and convinces me that they were just as important of a loss to this game as Mitch Morse. Mitch Morse was the key guy being gone. And it just it's kind of Mitch Morse has missed other games for us. And maybe we didn't notice it as much or we did whatever it may be. I feel like in the past we have also noticed this and now Mitch Morse is gone. It feels to me like we need to have a better plan for that center position now. Like Morse, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but he has a concussion history. So there was already kind of that red flag there. He's been doing great of late, but in that regard. But now he has this other injury with his elbow. It was a last second inactive, so hopefully it's nothing major. Hopefully he's back next week for Baltimore, whatever the circumstance may be. But we have we have to have gotten to the point where we need to find a legitimate you know, secondary option, backup option, future option, however you want to look at it at center so that we do not find ourselves post this year or whatever, or even later in this year. I don't know how you address it this season at this point, but we cannot find ourselves in a position like we just did today where a last second inactive of Mitch Morris made our offensive line look like they were bottom third. I mean, it was it was not pretty. Spencer Brown, like I mentioned, on the right, bad. The guard play was insignificant whatsoever. And then like Saffold, I didn't even I didn't even mention I don't he didn't do anything bad. I just didn't even notice him do anything good either. It just he was one of the guys. And then Deion Dawkins, 
um, in the uh, sack fumble, Deion Dawkins just flat out missed his guy. He took a step in, let his dude get the outside, and he just between him and I believe his Singletary to get a chip on him as well. They just completely whiffed. Yeah, and Singletary had no shot by that point. Yeah, and I'm not blaming Singletary as much as I am Dawkins. Like Dawkins, I don't know what maybe he he was told or was instructed in this situation to step inside. But when a a person lined up on outside leverage and that's going to be your guy, you would think you would swing outside first off the snap, but he clearly didn't got a step behind and it was over. It, It was absolutely over. It was done from that point on. And that was on Dawkins clear as day. I, again, I don't know what's going on play call wise, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it. I don't know what's going on in between the ears of Allen and the offensive and everything like that. But on the tape, what I, what we saw as fans, what we saw on the television, Dawkins just got beat and he made a bad step right off the snap. When you're all pro tackle or your pro bowl tackle, whatever you want to, when your best offensive lineman is having a bad day and you're already down your center, not a good time, just not a good time. And that's a clear, clear problem for this team. So with the Morse thing, I, so last year when, or the last couple of years, if Morse was hurt, we had John Feliciano there who, you know, is a very solid backup center, also guard and, you know, an ideal sixth man on your offensive line. You can back up at all three interior spots. I have no problem with Greg Van Roten being the backup center on game day in a game where Mitch Morse is healthy, because I think Greg Van Roten is a much better guard than Greg Mance. You can only dress so many offensive linemen, and you figure if we get to a situation where Mitch Morse leaves this game with an injury, um, Greg Van Roten can probably get us out of the game. There'll probably be some mishaps here and there, but I'd rather have Van Roten active on game day than Greg Mance for that. But with that said, this wasn't a situation where Miss Mitch Morse left the game because of an injury. They ruled him out before the game started, so they had the opportunity to pivot to Greg Mance to be their starting center. I was surprised, Luca, that they decided that Greg Van Roten was the answer there. I thought there were two other options on this roster that made more sense. One, just throw Greg Mance in there. He has the experience there. Two, Ryan Bates is a guy that has played center before in his career. You throw Ryan Bates in at center, and then Van Roten can go over to right guard. I think, I hope, that if Mitch Morse has to miss an extended period of time, that Greg Mance or Ryan Bates will get the call because that was certainly a situation today with Van Roten that cost the Bills some key situations and some points out there. But the thing that really was the biggest gut punch about the Mitch Morse being injured and ruled out earlier today was all week long, the injuries that are piling up. And as you're starting to think in your head, okay, we're not going to have our our two safeties, Poyer and Hyde. We're going to have two backup safeties in DeMar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson. We're going to have two rookies at cornerback in Benford and Elam because Dane Jackson's out, Tredavious White's obviously out. We're going to have a situation where we don't have much defensive line depth because Oliver and Phillips are out. And you just knew going in that in a game like this, defensive line depth was going to be huge because you already know that fatigue is going to be an issue in Miami with the heat um, before the game started. You just knew in Miami you want the rotation. They didn't have it. And then Tim Settle obviously did not look like himself. He was still obviously working on a snap count. So all of that being said, as the injuries piled up, the one saving grace for me, Luca, was, and this is going to sound weird, all the issues were on defense. So if you think about the Bills in a situation where at their best, and I I truly believe this, at their best, they have an elite offense and an elite defense. 
So when you think about it, you take away Poyer, you take away Hyde, you think about this big pile of elite of defense, big pile of elite on offense, take away Hyde and Poyer, you take away Dane Jackson, you take away Oliver, you take away Phillips. You're just like, okay, well, can this defense that's normally elite just be average? But we haven't really touched the offensive side. Like the offense should still be elite. And if you go into a game with an elite offense, at least you have a chance to dominate on that side of the ball and then hope your defense can keep you in the game. That's where the Mitch Morse thing was a gut punch because that was the first big, oh man, that's a key injury on offense. And now our offense is going to be less than its normal self. Defense is going to be way less than its normal self. And that's where, to me, I started to really feel like this may not be our day. All week long, I was thinking the Bills are going to find a way to score enough points to, to get out of Miami with a win. I was not a believer in the Dolphins offense based on what happened in one quarter against Baltimore. And I thought, OK, the Bills offense is going to get their points. The defense should be fine. You know, not, maybe not holding people under 13 like they've been doing all year, but maybe go out there and hold them under 21, which they did. And I think that's where we need to have the next point of this conversation, Luca, is when you look at this game as a whole, the defense that was down so many players and even ended up losing Benford along the way in the game, they held the Dolphins to 21 points. Luca, if I told you before the game started, the defense was going to hold the Dolphins to 21 points, you would have signed for that, right? 1000%. Yeah. I mean, I think my score prediction that you tweeted out for us uh, was 3127, I want to say. So I was not even in the mindset that this defense could hold them to 21. I was in the mindset that they were going to hold them to 27. And that's me being realistically optimistic. Is that a thing? I don't know if that's a thing or not, but I'm going to make it a thing. That was kind of me being like, I expect the Bills to win. This is kind of where I think this defense could hold them. You know, and then I live in reality where you see so many things on the defensive side of the ball crumbling when it comes to availability and everything that maybe we can't hold them to 27. Maybe this is just a game where they are able to outscore us. Just we don't have it right. What Mike McDaniel could scheme it up and just figure out a way to take advantage of the depleted and inexperienced secondary and then everything else in between. That was not the case, as you just pointed out, 21 points. If you told me that going into this game, hey, I'm not going to tell you what the Bills do, but the we're going to hold the Dolphins to 100 and, or sorry, not 100, it was 180-something passing, 212 total yards, and allow 21 points. I would have first been like, 21 points on 212 yards is not, it's too many points for the yards. But then two, I would have been like, yeah, sign me up. We probably win this game by 10 points like that's kind of where i would be i'd be like okay we we put up just over 30 and they held them to 21 and that's where we stand clearly that's not what happened but yeah I, the defense i think i or i hope it doesn't get lost with people that this defense and all the things that we worried about going into it did a great job for who they were and what they were like Benford came back out there with a club and still did not really allow anything over the top. I don't believe, I don't remember him ever being caught. Kyer Elam did not get caught panicking and holding, did not get caught over top. He, I think he was the one on the Jalen Waddle double move deep post, but he passed him off accordingly. And that was Johnson's responsibility. Johnson, if anyone wants to throw shade at Johnson for that one, because if in my recollection, that's the only play the dolphins had over 20 yards was that one Waddle play in you cannot blame Johnson. I am not going to sit here and say Poyer would have made that play. I think I saw some people say that. 
that was a great double move ran by Waddle. He perfectly got him with a head and body fake. Like essentially he ran that route perfectly. Poyer would have read that as the outside. You have to. As a player, you need to take the instinct. Your instinct is going to tell you, take that outside. And he just beat him on the post. And even to Johnson's credit, he was still there by the time the ball was caught that it wasn't an instant score. It, you just, you accept it. It was an unfortunate play for the defense as a whole. It was an unfortunate view of Johnson to allow it to happen. But he limited it every way he could. He tackled him, got him down, move on. That's how the world works. That's how the NFL works. Sometimes you just get beat. And even the best sometimes get beat. This defense did a great job. We also, and I know we had this discussion off air. This is, seems like a great time to bring this up. Gregory, Gregory Rousseau, being a guy, needs to be discussed. Plain and simple. He is now in that key personnel factor. If you did not think he was there or you were like, He's still improving. Nah, he's pretty much there. He is at the point in this career of his that Groot is j almost just as important as Von Miller. He is he is equally as important. Okay, he's not equally as important. He is just a key starter on the defense. We need him healthy at all times. He is a disruptor in the pass game. He is a great run defender, and he is just essential to what this defense is going forward. So everything aside, it, it was just the defense needs its props. People remember the defense is a legitimate unit. And even with all that, Phillips, Oliver, Hyde gone for the year. I'm sure we'll discuss things more and more. Hyde gone for the year and Poyer being out and Dane being out. And you have this inexperienced secondary. The linebackers are still there, but then a limited room on the defensive line as well that just like they still are good enough to handle themselves but they didn't have the rotation that they really needed they still stepped up to the plate they held this team to 21 points which also let's just point out the offense handed them seven i mean effectively let's just call it that call it what it is the the offense handed them seven points so you you effectively held them to 14 natural offensive points <sighs> you can't ask them to do anything more like that's, that's everything they can do for you, especially in these circumstances. And unfortunately for the bills, the offense just couldn't finish certain moments to make this a win. And real, if we were sitting, this is kind of where I'll end this point on the defense. If we were sitting here and say, even just that, you know, we got the spike down at the end, the field goal goes through the bills win. If we were sitting here on a bills win, just scraping by, or even a good win. I don't think we're sitting here talking about the offense. We're sitting here talking about that defense. I was very impressed with how that unit is whole. DeMar Hamlin and Johnson, to each their own. Look, there are certain moments that they didn't have that, or that they did have that weren't great. But overall, in this game, they looked like they can at least handle themselves. They look like they belong in this defense, and they look like they can get a job done. And out of a backup at a position of where you've had the unbelievably reliable Hyde and Poyer for all these years, that's great. That's awesome. And that makes me feel even more confident when Poyer comes back and when these other guys come back that they are still there ready to go. And in a game, say, you know, Poyer needs to leave for a series or two. I am not as less confident 
about this defense and just being able to limit opportunities and just get the job done as I would have been prior to this game. I am way more confident going into any other circumstance moving forward. This, if you take away the score and take away the offense and all that kind of stuff, if we just focus on the defense, I was impressed and I was honestly it's a weird thing to say, but I was happy with their performance. I was, I thought they did a great job and they did everything they could to give us the opportunity to win. Yeah. You're talking about six guys that were backups when the season started and they held Miami basically to 14 points of their own. Luca mentioned seven of those points were handed to them by the offense, turning the ball over in their own end. And the defense essentially could only defend five yards until the end zone. Let's talk about the offense, Luca, because the game started out perfect right down the field. Again, touchdown, the Bills score on their first drive of the game. Bills have done that now three games in a row. Josh Allen looked on. He was on fire in the first half. The Bills ended the first half with 14 points. Should have been 17, but there was the mishap with the snap. I come away from this game, though, and look, I look, we don't want to get too much into the offense versus the defense. It's one game. You got to be careful about sample size, but I think we're getting to a point with the Bills with this team that if we want them to accomplish the things that we think they can accomplish, some of the concerns from last year are starting to creep into this team. And some of the concerns from last year, which are the reasons why Luca and I, in our pre-draft conversations, were on the train of drafting Brees Hall, take some pressure off of Josh Allen, add another blue chip weapon around him, give us, give the Bills something on a day like today somebody else that can take over a game because today the bills had 497 yards of total offense. Josh Allen, uh, Josh Allen accounted for 447 of those yards, only 50 yards of non Josh Allen yards. I love Josh Allen. He's my favorite athlete in sports right now. And he put the team on his back. There were free blitzers coming at him all day. He made three or four plays today where you're thinking, is there another player in the league that could make that play? And he legitimately put the team on his back and gave them a chance to win today offensively when, when the Bills were down offensive linemen, when blitzers were coming free because the communication was bad on the offensive line. But Luca. I don't know what you can do midseason because what we're not seeing is we're not seeing that complimentary running game. We're not seeing Singletary and Moss, save for the one long run, um, really do anything to take some pressure off of Allen. And today we didn't see a whole lot of anything else besides Josh Allen working. It didn't even feel like to me that there was a situation where a receiver took a a small pass and made a big gain out of it. It was like, those were legitimately 447 Josh Allen yards. And that's fine. He's a franchise quarterback. There's going to be days where you need the franchise quarterback to put the team on his back, put the S on his chest and be Superman. And certainly on a day when your team is down a bunch of players, maybe it's just as simple as saying, Hey, this was just a script for today where Josh Allen had to be Josh Allen, pull the team out of the fire. He didn't quite get it done. And maybe it's not a sign of things to come, but I will say Luca, I'm at least starting to get a little bit concerned about the lack of a complimentary running game about a lack of support from Devin Singletary and Zach Moss in the running game specifically. And, you know, as much as we pumped the tires of Aaron Cromer coming into this season, I'm still a big fan of Aaron Cromer. We haven't seen that impact now through three games 
of the Bills having that running game to pair with Josh Allen. I am not somebody that thinks the Bills need to establish the run, be a run-heavy team. I think this team is going to go as far as Josh Allen can take them. But for him to be such a big focal point of this offense with no other secondary outlets to take some pressure off of him, I don't think is sustainable. Where do you stand on this, Luca? I'm going to give the excuse of this game to this game. Um, I also don't believe I'm as worried as you. This offense, I think I think I saw a tweet somewhere and um, where it was uh, just a quick pitch out to Diggs and quick pitch out to uh, McKenzie and all that. That's our running game, right? And I look at those plays essentially as an extension of our running game. And this might be just watching the Cardinals a lot in me. And I'm not going to compliment Cliff for anything because, look, Bills fans, real quick, if you think your life stinks, just watch a Cardinals game and tell me if you want Cliff Kingsbury as your coach. Because I'm telling you right now, you absolutely want no part of that fool. And he shouldn't be in the NFL anymore. But I digress. The extension of the Cardinals running game is all of these just quick passes out to the perimeter, perimeter play, perimeter play. And it's just it's a recognition of these are your playmakers. We don't have that bell cow. We don't have that power run game. So we need to create that kind of production as much as we can, as creatively as we can. And I think the bills have a team where they kind of do that. So statistically it may not be there, but I do think some of it is there. My one friend Goff pointed out something great with this game though. And this is kind of where I'm coming with the excuse of this game pre pregame. Morse being out the first words out of his mouth, which I couldn't believe. I thought it was a little strange because I was just worried about, you know, center QB exchange. He was like, oh, that's going to affect our running game. And I was like, oh, I mean, I wasn't thinking about it that way, but I guess that's a point. And I definitely think that, you know, as we all saw, it was there. But the other thing, too, is there wasn't the first two games. We had something going on that this game, it just wasn't there. And this is probably more of a credit to the Dolphins defense, which feels weird because they allowed almost 500 yards total. But there was one thing and one key thing that they were doing in this game really well comparative to the first two teams we played. They were limiting our run after catch. They were limiting the amount of yards we were getting after a touch. They did a very good job with this. There was one play. I want to say Diggs caught the ball. It was either Diggs, McKenzie, Davis. It was someone caught the ball kind of five yards and they actually turned it into a 12 yard play or so. And I was surprised by it. I shouldn't be surprised by it on this offense, but I was because the way the day was going, that was not a trend that was happening. They were getting to the ball quick. They were getting the Bills players down and we weren't able to extend or just create more yards as soon as a touch occurred. And I think that was a big key that even though they allowed all these yards and were allowing us to get plays to get down the field and do whatever we could, why we couldn't capitalize or turn some of those other plays into points may have come down to other than our own errors may have come down to the fact that they were just able to keep everything contained and keep everything in front of them to the point where we couldn't create yards. And that's a big thing because when we are able to create all those yards, Again, that leads me to it's an extension of our run game because the number one thing and the thing that we heard from Josh Allen this preseason, the focus was run after catch and create more yards after touches. That was a huge emphasis from Josh Allen and this offense going into the season. And those first two games, we saw it. I mean, the Rams game, it looked like we were never throwing the ball downfield and we were just creating offense by hitting receivers in stride three to five yards, maybe at the line of scrimmage, all just these creative plays to get them in space 
and allow them to do whatever they can. Now we found ourselves in a game similar to last season where we weren't able to create those yards after catch and create the yards in space. We had to just manufacture them through the play and Josh Allen needed to do what he could do to create all of this. And he did a very good job, obviously, but it just still wasn't enough. And I'm not overly worried about the running part in particular to this game because Morse being out is huge. Like that cannot be emphasized enough spot props to you Goff. Like you called that one. If you're listening to this, I don't, I don't give him a lot of, you know, props and stuff. Me and him kind of have this, like he's very factual. I'm very emotional kind of rivalry situation, but props to Goff. He pointed it out pregame and I'm sure other people did too. Trust me. I'm not, you know, singling one guy out as, Oh, he knows all, but it was clearly one of the factors today the emphasis to Miami's defense and they got the assistance with Morse being out was limit yards after touches. It was clear as day. They were just rallying to the ball and they did a very good job at this. And that's why I kind of give today's like, I'm not going to get overly emotional, you know, and I'm not going to really sit here and go, Oh, I'm worried. I will say I'm concerned. You know, now we're three games in, we'll be four games in following Baltimore. That's effectively a quarter of the season. And if nothing really shows there, then it's like, okay, like maybe they have something that's going on. Maybe they're trying to mesh. Maybe they're trying to figure it out. I don't know. And then it'll start creeping in if we find ourselves six, seven. You know, if we're sitting here on Halloween talking about the Packers game and how the run game is still trying to find itself, then I might join you with, yeah, this is a bit more concerning. We got to figure something out. But also, I'm going to just pull this. If you want to talk about last season where we didn't really have that, it started to come alive late, right as the games really mattered. And that's what I'll just say. Maybe it just takes an entire season for Devin Singletary in this run game to figure itself out. If, if at the end of the day, we're able to do what we can to, you know, make the, win the division, you know, make the playoffs and all that stuff to pull away from this game. And then the run game develops itself week 15, then I don't care. Like that's, let me just put that asterisk now, if in case you want to sound bite this, I am a little slightly concerned, not really, um, I'm giving this game an excuse and a, you know, I'm not going to look at this game like, oh, something's wrong with our offense or something's wrong with our defense, which we already talked about. There is nothing really I'm concerned about with the defense. I thought they did a great job, but there's nothing with this offense that I'm going, oh, this is what we missed. Look, this was a freak game. A lot happened. A lot of bounces didn't go our way. The other stuff. Props to Miami. They did a great job executing whatever their game plan was defensively because they still allowed an insane amount of yards and held us to 19 points. Like round of applause. I congrats. I still, it still blows my mind. Like 90 offensive plays for 197 yards, total offense, 40 minutes time possession. And we had 19 points. Good job. Miami defense. Proud of you guys. Not really, but you know, good, good, you know, props, props, props to you. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about it after this, this game does not affect how I feel about anything with the run game, the pass game, nothing. This was a one of one game. Josh Allen just needed, I, you know, last set, last point here. I think the thing you said with putting the S on your chest and being Superman, this was a game that we needed Allen to do that. And for all intents and purposes, he pretty much did. It's just, there were other variables and other things that occurred that didn't end this in a win. And it's unfortunate and it stinks. And we're sitting here still talking about it, but it is what it is. And we got to move on kind of deal. So one 
concern I have about the running game that I think we need to probably will just track as the season goes on is when Singletary had a lot of his success down the stretch last season, he was given the reins as the full-time ball carrier and the Bills were using a lot of pin and pull principles in the run game. And this year to this point, and it sure seems like the way they're going, Ken Dorsey and Aaron Cromer have installed more of a Kyle Shanahan zone blocking scheme. And I just don't think that that is Singletary's game. I think he's much better about you tell him which hole to hit and he's going to hit it and then he's going to make somebody miss versus I don't think he's that guy that can get the ball and then pick a hole after that, where I think when you look at some of those guys that have had some success in the Kyle Shanahan system, the Raheem Mostert's, the Matt Breida's, uh, the Elijah Mitchell's, they all have that high end speed. And that's where I start thinking about at what point do the Bills really want to start getting James Cook involved? Because it was there were small doses of it today, and this game to me is just one of those games where there's only going to be so much you can take from it with all the injuries, but there was a couple points today where he had the ball in his hands, and you're like, that guy's speed is different, and they were flashes, and they weren't huge plays, but I'm just curious where that goes the rest of the way. Luca brought up the best point, though. The, the offense really let the team down today as a whole. Um, the defense did its job plenty. I don't know, Luca. Let's let's go through that last sequence of how the game ended because I want to I want to kind of take the temperature here and just and just see where your head was at as this was all unfolding. So the um, let's see here. So da, 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 the Bills get the ball. Um, the bills, um, they have the McKenzie play in the end zone. They turn the ball over to the dolphins on fourth down dolphins take over, um, with first and goal or first and goal first and 10 on their own one yard line, lining up in their end zone, essentially with a minute 46 left and the bills have two timeouts and they run the ball twice. One was a quarterback sneak, which was just really interesting play call. The bills burn both their timeouts third down after the dolphins seemingly committed to just running clock. They run an incomplete pass, so the clock stops, and the Bills are about to get the ball back with enough time now where we thought the game was over after the McKenzie, the, the ball that Josh skips to McKenzie. Now the Bills are going to get the ball back, and then the Dolphins are punting out of their own end zone, and Thomas Morstead, one of the most hilarious plays you'll ever see, punts the ball off of the rear end of Trent Sherfield, his wide receiver in the end zone. It bounces out of the back of the end zone, so the Bills get a safety. The Bills are now up are down 21 to 19, but getting the ball back. So Luca, the bills take over with down by two. Now, no timeouts, a minute 26 left. I will tell you, I felt like the bills were playing this entire game uphill. It felt like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it felt like even when they made their plays on offense, it felt like it was just such a struggle where there was nothing clean. It was Allen had to evade two blitzers and then throw to a receiver that was tightly covered and it still worked. But I felt like at that moment with a minute 26 left down by two with no timeouts, knowing that all they had to do was get in a field goal range to win the game. I was super confident that the bills were going to pull it out and win. They obviously didn't. We had the situation at the end where they got the play to McKenzie and time runs out before they can spike it. How were you feeling? Bills take over down by two minute 26 left ball in Josh Allen's hands. I will admit I wasn't in the same boat as you. I, under normal circumstance, if we're sitting here 
And, you know, I didn't see the context of the game and what had transpired to that point. And you just dropped me into the situation to look at there. I would share the same sentiments. This brings me back to something I mentioned earlier in this episode. The thing I couldn't get my head wrapped around or just couldn't get past was as soon as Josh Allen and the entire team at this point has been struggling, cramps, you know, heat, exhaustion, whatever you want to call it. Josh Allen then has whatever happened in a pile, whatever happened in a tackle, and then proceeds to rip a man's face mask off and kind of do it in an aggressive manner to let him know he didn't like something. And it was right in front of the official. We all saw it. He gets flagged. As soon as I saw that happen, I go, that's a huge penalty. Luckily, it, you know, he was able to drive down the field afterwards and it didn't affect that immediate drive. It affected my mindset with Allen, and it brings me back to what I talked about with the highlights and the moments. I didn't ever feel like from that point on that Allen was kind of the Allen we know. He was different. Something was off. He was off. His emotions were off. You know, he's hot. He's 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 physically hot or heated, and he's mentally hot and heated. Something is going on that. Allen is not cool, calm, and collected, ready to go and be a killer that we all know he is. There's there's a fire burning in him that I think had his brain running a million miles a minute and just had a lot going on that maybe it just wasn't our day or it wasn't Allen's day. He obviously was a very important player. He was the most important player for the Bills this game. He always is the most important player, and we wouldn't even been remotely in the situation that we were without him. But with all that said, we get the ball back with a minute 26 left, and I really didn't know what to expect. I, it was Josh Allen was a wild card to me at this point. It's, are we going to get a nice clutch drive, or is Josh Allen going to kind of be erratic, and I, I just didn't know what to feel. Like We just watched him double clutch, not step into a throw, and dirt one three yards from McKenzie. That is the last play we saw from Josh Allen before this moment. Think about that. That's where my head was at. We just watched him do something that I told you took a long time to process even more time than it did to process this loss in the end, as well as the penalty I point out where I was like, I don't know where his headspace is at anymore. So with all of that in mind, I wasn't sitting there going, oh yeah, it's it's written in the stars, we'll call it, or this is how this game is going to end. I truthfully did not know how that game was going to end. I didn't know where Josh Allen would lead this team to the field. Once we got to, you know, just to fast forward a little bit, once we got to the half, you know, half point and stuff like that, and then things transpired I, that I can't really recollect. It's kind of a blur. There was a penalty was, in there that moved him back. Right. That's kind of what I'm remembering and stuff. Like it was all a bit of a blur. I remember going, okay, Josh Allen can at least throw this ball into the end zone now. And I'm like, give me a 50, 50 give me a coin flip. Sucks to say, but give me a coin flip on this. Like it's going to be a 50, 50 shot. You never know who knows, blah, blah, blah. Like then I was like, I don't know. McKenzie play happens. We all know the end result. Um, but going into that drive, I wasn't as confident as you. I, I'll, I'm, I, I'm not afraid to admit it, but it is what it is. Like, I truthfully think there's something to be said in watching a player who we have never seen do something like that on a football field. And just, you could tell the elements were affecting him. I mean, we watched him go down in a crouch and, you know, they were basically making him chug Gatorade or 
maybe it was pickle juice or whatever it was while I think they were tending to Bates with mm-hmm. an actual injury and stuff. I don't want to say actual injury. I just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I other things were going on and they were attending to him. Like it was clear as day that Allen was suffering just like everyone else. And then we watched that penalty and we watched what else is going on in that game. I just wasn't there with the confidence anymore. It's just, this game was a one of one at that point. And it's like, I don't know what to expect. I kind of found myself, there's Bill's fandom in it, but I kind of looked at it at a neutral perspective all of a sudden, just a little bit like, what the hell is about to happen in this game now? We just watched a punter punt it mm-hmm. off of the upback's ass, and it went out the back of the end zone. Reggie Gilliam, by the way, about a yard away from catching it with his feet in bounds, and we would be having a totally different discussion off of that. He would have been if a hero. That, if that would have been a touchdown, Reggie Gilliam would have been being discussed for a long time. Imagine seeing a stat where Reggie Gilliam had a zero yard punt return touchdown. Yeah. What a stat. (laughs) You'd be looking back at that. Like what in the world possibly happened? I will tell you what I thought. So I I say I was confident. I was, I I would have bet my life savings on the fact that Allen would have gotten them in the field goal range, but the way this game had gone today, I probably as bass as lining up for the field goal would have been thinking, okay, now what's going to go wrong. That's where my head was at. So there was even a part of me, as silly as this sounds, that when the Bills got the safety, I was almost like, oh, no. Because when when the Bills were down by four, I was like, this is easy. We got to get down there and get a touchdown. And they're punting out of their own end zone, so you're going to get a good field position. The safety, you know, obviously, then you only need a field goal, but then they get to punt from their 20. And then he, to, to Morstead's credit, just unleashed a boom, 70-yard downfield. That was huge. And I feel like... At that point, I don't want to say I lost confidence, but I was like, well, now they're going to play for the field goal instead of the touchdown, which is cool. Like, I trust Tyler Bass, but it was just one of those games where it's like, I don't know if I trust at this point the snap, the hold, and the kick. It sure seems like something's going to go wrong. And do we have enough offensive linemen to even have a field goal block unit at this point? I don't know. So we'll see what happens. Luca, let's spin it around now because the story going into this game was how big of a game it was for the Dolphins. Since Sean McDermott has shown up, the Bills have only lost to the Dolphins one time, and it was that Charles Clay play where he drops the ball in the end zone. And for the Dolphins, a team that many say is on the rise, this was, in a lot of ways, their New England Patriots game that the Bills used to have where it was like the Bills were their measuring stick. We have to find a way to beat this team that keeps tormenting us. And in very much just keeping up with some of the Twitter arguments this week that were kind of ridiculous, it sure felt like to their fans that this was their week three Super Bowl. And to their credit, they won. And I'm sure for Miami fans out there, they're having a joyful night tonight, enjoying all of that. With all of that said, I am not here to throw shade on any of it. In the NFL, it's very simple. This is not college football. You win or you lose. There's no ranking system. No, There's nothing that when the playoffs roll around, they're going to say, oh, well, the Bills lost this game to Miami in week three, but they were down 33% of their starters on defense, and they missed a field goal, and they made all these mistakes. So they're not quite as bad as that loss. It really doesn't matter. A loss is a loss, a win is a win, and that's really all that matters in the NFL. So to their credit, they won. Good for them. Period on that sentence. With all of that said, the story going into this game was, if Miami can't beat these Bills as banged up as they were, down an entire secondary, down half of their defensive line, 
as the game started down their center and then down two more offensive linemen as the game played out, down Stefan Diggs for half the plays in the fourth quarter, at some point down Dawson Knox and Isaiah McKenzie. If the Dolphins can't beat these Bills, when will they ever? They got the win. But everything else that transpired on that field today, statistically, time of possession, the team, I mean, when you watch this game, the team that really dominated this game, what are we feeling about the Dolphins at this point, Luca? Because I'll tell you, style points don't matter. You win or you lose. But if you're looking for like, this is a team I'm going to be scared of now, I didn't come away from this thinking that the Dolphins are are some like future juggernaut we have to worry about. Congratulations to them. They beat the Bills today. They are now in first place of the AFC East. They won by two points on a day where the Bills made 10 mistakes we just laid out. And they had by far the healthier team. They were missing Byron Jones. I don't want to go through the names of who the Bills are missing because we've already done it. But when you add all that up, it was in Miami, the Heat the sideline situation, everything. Where are we at with the Dolphins, Luca? Because I think that I came into this week thinking the Dolphins are probably a top seven team in the AFC, and that probably means they're going to make the playoffs. I leave this game thinking the Dolphins are probably a top seven team in the AFC. They're probably going to make the playoffs, but I still am probably not going to give a whole lot of thought to them being a threat to the Bills in the AFC East. Dolphins are a playoff team. First and foremost, they're a playoff team. They they are a team that will be in it, in the mix, whatever you want to call it, come late. They could even be that five seed now. Let's let's go with that. They they're I'm with you when I go they're not I don't come away from that game going, oh my goodness, I am I'm nervous about the return date, we'll call it the flip side when they have to come to Buffalo and play us here. I want that's that's kind of where my head goes. It's like, okay, good win. Props to you. Results are how it matters the most. Now come to Buffalo and win here, not in the final week or basically, you know, they won here in overtime in 2016. And prior to that was 2011. They have not won here otherwise in all those other seasons. Do it. Show me you can do that. Like I brought up early in this podcast, we just had to suffer through their home field advantage You didn't want to go through the long list. I don't want to go through the long list of people missing this game. Both sides had players missing. Let it be what it is. But all these things had to happen. We suffered through their home field to just have this brutal way of losing a game, and they won. Now do it in Buffalo when the season's really coming down to crunch time. And hopefully by that point, by the way, the Bills are a lot healthier and you're playing more of our A team, we'll call it. Do it then. If you can do that, then, then I will respect you and look at you as a legitimate player in this mix. You are not Kansas City. You are not Baltimore. You are not us for sure. You aren't one of those, we'll call it the three-headed trident. Those are the standard of the AFC. Even the Chargers that people want to crown as a standard in this AFC just found themselves getting the brakes beaten off of them by the Jacksonville Jaguars in their own house. Justin Herbert's hurt. He clearly looks like there's some issues going on. I'm not going to point that out because again, we're talking about a game here with Buffalo, Miami, where the Bills defense and their secondary, for instance, had a total of three starts in it. We're not talking about that here. It's I re, look props to Miami. We are not saying that we don't respect it. You have already emphasized this enough. I keep saying it as well. 
but this doesn't move the needle. This game does not change much at all. All this game does for me, for Miami's sake, is look at them and go, okay, look, they are going to probably be in the mix come playoffs. They're going to be a team that I go, all right, do I fear them? No. Would I welcome them in Buffalo? Yes, at this point in time. Obviously, we'll see how the December game goes, because if that goes how I think and you think it will go, I welcome it even more. But that's, you know, I digress. Um, it doesn't move the needle enough, though, for me to change otherwise. It, it's just Miami is Miami. I'm going to also say this. That game, to me, kind of also backed up. It's not a negative opinion, just an opinion on Mike McDaniel. I know a lot of people like him out there. I am not, and I'm just going to put this on record now. I am not a Mike McDaniel guy, period. And I think you even kind of have a likeness for him. I'm not saying you love him or anything like that. I've seen you discuss things about Mike McDaniel that I think you have some sort of likeness to him, at least. I don't. I don't respect him as a coach. I don't like him as a coach. I don't think he is anything that makes me think, oh, he's going to bring a team. I don't give a shit that it's Miami or anyone. I don't think he could walk into Buffalo and do anything better for this team. I don't. He is a coach in the NFL. And honestly, I want to see what he does in a late season game and or playoff game when you need to be a leader of men and do something and be that guy that people are leaning on. Because this game to me was not one that I go, oh, they really bunkered down for Mike McDaniel and they like he was leading them through this. No, 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 no. The numbers and everything that my eyes told me, it was just an unfortunate series of events for the Bills and just a game that just didn't go their way other than a butt punt. Other than that, I don't think the Bills got one break. And I think you even mentioned before, and I want this because I haven't been able to bring this up real quick. I don't even blame officiating as much as maybe others do. There was a moment early on in the game where penalties were getting called a lot and early. And then all of a sudden the flags just went away. And then there were opportune times. Maybe the Milano one I look at and go, they reacted to Tua wobbling more than actually what had occurred. Whatever. Bad calls happen. And anyone that thinks that is. So Miami can say, oh, calls went both ways. Bills fans I know out there have been complaining about calls. Look, calls happen. Bad calls happen all the time. That doesn't affect how I evaluate a team. And I'm not looking at Miami and going, oh, they got away with a lot of calls either. I don't give a shit. I don't care. Look, calls happen good and bad. Both sides, we move on. The Dolphins overall did not do anything to impress me beyond the opinion that I have of this team. And it's just, look, they're, I think next week they have, or they're the Thursday night game next week. And they have to play the Bengals in Cincinnati. And they currently sit there right now as one and a half point dogs. That should tell you everything. The one and two Cincinnati Bengals that just finally got their first win over the Jets are now favored against these same Dolphins. If the Dolphins can put, let's, let's just do it this way. If the Dolphins can go into Cincinnati and win that game, maybe I'll move the ticker a little bit. But even then, they got to do it to me in an impressive way. Because outside of one quarter this NFL season, I have not seen anything from this Miami team that really wows me and makes me feel like this is a team that is on the rise and is really going to threaten, as I pointed out, that three-headed Triton known as Kansas City, Baltimore, and Buffalo. 
you got to be better than Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and good old 17 Josh Allen. And nothing they have done has shown me they can go over the skill set that is those three quarterbacks and the teams they lead, plain and simple. Well, we have some time to figure out what Miami's going to do. I agree with everything you said about the Bengals. Um, we are going to put a bow on this game, though, in week number three with a segment we call Game Balls and Game Checks. And then we will spin it forward and talk about what's next for the Bills and then kick it around the league before we get out of here. How this works, Luca, Game Balls and Game Checks. We have to figure out which player today stood up above the rest and deserves a game ball. And then on the other side of the coin, which player should hand in his game check for the poor performance on the field. So Luca, who gets your game ball this week for the bills in their effort against the dolphins? I cannot believe I'm about to say the name that I am saying right now. Oh, I'm I excited. Am... <laughs> Matt Milano. Okay. Take a bow, bud. You were big. And, and I say, I can't believe I'm going to say the name that I'm about to say. <laughs> I'm not a hater. I just don't see it the way most do. But today, in a day where you needed those few stars on that side of the ball to step up, there was one guy that came up with at least two big third down stops. And damn it, I'm giving the game ball to this guy, even though he dropped what could be viewed as the biggest miss of the game with that dropped walk-in pick six effectively. Because he was just so good otherwise. He was so crucial to this defense and just making sure it contained everything in front of them and did its job and got the defense off the field twice when it really needed to and key moments of the game that I, yeah, I, it was just, that is clearly off the top of my head. I didn't write anything down. I totally forgot we're doing this segment, by the way. Nice. Love that you brought this back. So that was just off, you know, off the belt. Just boom, here you go. Here's my guy. So yeah, game ball has to go to Matt Milano for me. So for me, this one's tough because everything about the way this game played out, the best player on the field on both teams was Josh Allen. And I don't even know if it was close. I honestly believe Luca that if case Keenum had started this game, the bills might've gotten shut out. The issues they were having on offensive line, the lack of a running game, the fact that he had to get creative every time they made plays in the passing game, that is not case Keenum's game. To me, Josh Allen deserves a game ball, but with everything we said about the defense, how the defense bowed up with the adversity they faced this week and the performance we got from them, I am going to give it to somebody on the defensive side of the ball. I'm going to give it to a guy you called out earlier as now being a guy on this defense. Gregory Rousseau with one and a half sacks today, both in very key situations, three and a half sacks on the year in three games. He is a guy that has continued to step up. We talked about in preseason that we know what we're getting when Von Miller. We feel like we know what we're getting with Ed Oliver when he's on the field. We've gotten above and beyond from Jordan Phillips when he's been on the field. But if we could just get one of those young defensive ends, Rousseau, Basham, or Epinesa to step up and take that next step, this defense can be scary. Through three games, Greg Rousseau has stepped up and been that impact player opposite Von Miller, and it is super exciting to see. In a loss today, Greg Rousseau gets my game ball. On the other side of the coin, Luca, who are you going to go to the house of and say, hey, I need that game check back, buddy? Oh, man. Um, like I said, I didn't write any of this down because I totally forgot we're doing the segment. This is the tough one because there's a lot of negatives in this game. But as we discussed earlier, 
I'm not going to call anyone out on the defense. Look, they did their job. They did their part. They did a good job. We just named two players that got game balls from us. Yeah. That I don't know how you could criticize any of them. Um, man, that's a tough one. Uh, look, I don't even want to hate on Gabe Davis. So real quick, I feel like there's a little bit on Gabe Davis and I'm going to lean into this real quick. And I, I don't know if this affects who you're picking or whatever, but you mentioned Gabe Davis with two drops. The one drop, let's just make sure we give credit to that DB mm-hmm. whose name is slipping my mind right now. That's an amazing play. He is beat. Gabe Davis has this ball and he has the, the right thought of mind and everything about him to reach across the front of his body and just rip or punch. I believe it was a rip in this case, but just to do something to make sure he can't just continue that ball. Because I think even the broadcast said, maybe they want to take a look at this because if it's a catch one, two down, the play is dead, but you have to put that doubt in the official's head. And he did a great job doing it. So I'm not going to point out Gabe Davis because also Gabe Davis came into this. I didn't even know if he was going to play. I'm just going to put this and I'm going to ask for the game check of someone that didn't even step on the field. Whoever was in charge of conditioning (laughs) and making sure these players were hydrated. I don't even know if I want his game check. I might want his fucking job. Sorry, dropped up my apologies. Hopefully you don't. Sorry, Mrs. Luca. um, That one slipped out. I was doing a really good job, too. Mm, I was proud of you. He did whoever, whoever was in charge of conditioning and hydration. That dude did a horrible job. I think everyone can agree. I think we. As me, Joel, and Goff, and anyone else sitting in my living room, we're watching this game, can agree. I think we asked for that guy's job maybe 12 times. Maybe Could he was the more. one out table dancing with Bill's Mafia last exactly. night instead maybe of preparing. Maybe he was the one suffering from Miami flu the most. Yeah. Like, oh my God, dude. Like, Knox is out in the post game talking about drinking pickle juice and whatever. So clearly there was some sort of effort there. But overall, man. Like you did a horrible job. We had numerous moments where it wasn't just one guy dealing with a little bit of exhaustion. You have one guy who left the game early because of heat exhaustion. And you had multiple moments where multiple players were on a knee or whatever it was needing to get hydrated and or cramps worked on to the point where a trainer had to tell Diggs to stop walking, get down. Let me break out the massage gun and we get a free injury timeout here. Like, that's bad, dude. You're horrible at your job. You should be ashamed of yourself because this is probably a game where you're at your most important until we're in the November months when the cold comes into play and you're looking at it on the flip side. So good on you, bud. You did a horrible job. Probably need to look for another one if you're if I was your boss because you suck. Well, I mean, it's hard to argue with that when you have five guys leave with heat related issues in the game. And, you know, you you mentioned Davis. Davis is not going to be my pick. All respect to him, because based on some of the video that came out late in the week, he was not a guy that was ready to play. I don't get the feeling that Gabe Davis was going to have a full workload today until Jake Kumaro went out of the game and then it forced him into that. All respect for that. Look, I have a hard time giving a game check or taking a game check from somebody who's a backup that was filling in for a starter. We have smaller expectations for these guys. They're backups for a reason, but unfortunately there was one backup that stood out above the rest when it comes to letting the team down. And it was the backup center, Greg Van Roten. He had two bad snaps, one which led to the bills not being able to get a field goal attempt off. And there was just an embarrassing false start where everybody on the offense went instead of him snapping the ball and the, the ref did a great job of calling him out on that is everybody moved except the center. So with that, my game check 
is going to go to to Greg Van Roten and uh, his lack of ability to back up for Mitch Morse. All right, Luca, let's spin it forward because it does not get easier for these Buffalo Bills. They had a tough game this week. I would venture to say they have a tougher game next week against the Baltimore Ravens. I know, I know the Dolphins beat the Ravens. They had a big comeback last week and they technically are better than them, but I don't see it that way. I think the Ravens are a tougher matchup. And Luca, to me, this week is going to resemble a lot like last week where it's basically going to be monitoring injury reports every single day, just trying to figure out which players are going to be active against the Ravens next Sunday. Yeah, this is going to be every day on Twitter looking at everything, seeing what we're doing. How's the roster going to break down all of that fun stuff? Because as you said, I might agree with you. This may be the tougher game, not to take anything away from Miami, but I mentioned the three-headed trident. Guess what? We're going up against one of them in Lamar Jackson, and he's a problem. Former MVP. That team's good. They're rolling. They were a good team without Lamar Jackson. Let's not forget last season when they had to deal with a major injury. It's a serious team. They just went to New England and handled their business. I, I, I think there was a discussion at one point in my living room where we were like, do we, who are we rooting for in that game? Mm-hmm. And I instantly out of my gut was like, oh, we're rooting for New England because Baltimore is more of a problem because my general mindset is who is the bigger problem because I want them to lose so that they are less of a problem in the standings and hopefully we can get a one seed. But then I flipped and I was like, you know what? You know what would be really, really bad? It'd be really bad to go into Baltimore against a one and two and desperate Baltimore team seeing an opportunity in front of them with the bills and knocking them down to either at this point, obviously, as we're discussing this three and one or two and two, this is a real thing. So now they're at least coming off of a nice emphatic win. Things are okay for them. All that fun jazz, but they are a better team and we don't even know what team we're bringing to Baltimore right now at this point in time. So yeah, everything you said is spot on. I think they're a better team than what we just dealt with. And we need to make sure all our chickens in our row and everyone's as healthy as possible. Hopefully, maybe this is what we were looking for with Ed Oliver. I did see something recently while we're even recording that he was icing his ankle. People are thinking maybe that's because it was either tweaked or it was worse than they originally anticipated. Prayers up, man. Please be okay, Ed Oliver. This is probably a game we really need as much defensive line depth as we possibly can have when you come up against Lamar. And now uh, I think J.K. Dobbins was back this week in a limited role. He's probably going to be one week healthier going into next week. Oh, geez. We cannot afford to keep going down this road of missing a lot of players. Look, it's not about one game. You can't lose a championship in September, as we keep mentioning, although at that point, you know, we're effectively in October. Um, But as the injuries, injuries pile up and as they lengthen, it becomes more problematic to the point of is the season starting to go downward to a point where we can't recover anymore. That's what I'm trying to hopefully avoid, or that's what I hope this team can avoid going forward. And yeah. It's going to be a day-by-day process going into this Baltimore game. Like, who is getting better? Who's not getting better? Please tell me that at least, you know, Ed Oliver or Jordan Phillips, both of them, Jordan Poyer is okay. Please tell me some of these key guys on defense are going to get better because I don't, like, as much as we wanted to give props to our defense and everything, as you pointed out, Baltimore is probably a better team, and they're definitely a bigger task for this defense that I really would like to not go into it without, you know, a Poyer 
and or Phillips and or Ed Oliver and stuff, have more veterans, have more guys that have been there available to kind of step it up because I, I don't want to say we got lucky because one, we lost and you know, it just injuries happen, but you got almost what feels like the best of what you could have in this game. And it's like, you're playing with house money at this point. Can we please not try that again? That's kind of where my head's at with the defense currently of what we just saw. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting week, Josh. It's going to be an interesting week. I'll tell you this, and I know there's going to be a lot of panic out there. Look, every time your team loses their first game of the season, it always feels like the sky is falling. You know, there was some conversation this week, like, hey, could the Bills go 17 and 0? You know, I may have started a conversation like that, and Luca yelled at me privately in our Discord, but that's obviously not going to be the case now. I will just tell you that right now, the Bills are in about as rough of a stretch as it's going to get. This Baltimore game next week is this game would not be easy if the Bills were fully healthy. In fact, Luca in our season prediction show predicted the Bills to lose this game with only the knowledge that the Bills would be without Tredavious White. He certainly didn't know that Micah Hyde would be out and all the names we've mentioned earlier. I think it's very realistic that the Bills could lose this game to Baltimore. I think it's very realistic the Bills, as they currently sit with their injury situations, could go into the bye week at four and two or three and three. And I will just remind everybody that's okay. Is it ideal? No. This this Bills team could be five and one, and maybe that was what happens. But they're they're really weathering the storm of injuries right now. And I will just point to the second half of the season, which is essentially after the bye week, after that Packers game, the Bills have a very easy schedule. I think my read on this Bills injury situation, we know the Bills are ahead of things when it comes to sports science injuries. I think Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean looked at it this week and they were like, look, enough is enough. Anybody who's even close, they're not playing. And I think the only reason Gabe Davis got a jersey today is because he was going to play a small role just as an extra body, maybe for the red zone. And then Kumaro went down early and then it was like, oh, well, now we got to have Davis out there. I think maybe if they if they had any inkling of like, hey, Davis is a little bit not there, they could have just brought up Shakir, rested Davis. I think they just ran out of bodies to leave inactive, honestly. So I think that the Bills maybe played this conservative. If this was a playoff game or a bigger November, December game, maybe guys like Poyer and Morse would have gone. Maybe Oliver would have gone. I am seeing what Luca mentioned that banged up Bills posted about Ed Oliver having cold cold therapy this evening. Reading through the comments of banged up Bills, he says that this is a medial ankle sprain and there's no indication that this is really anything to be concerned about. Ice is cheap. He expects Oliver to play week four, but he does say he's expected Oliver to play all the way along. So hopefully this is a situation where the Bills get Ed Oliver back. They certainly need all their studs back, Luca, as soon as they can because you don't want to see the injury list continue to grow without names coming off. All right. We have talked for a long time tonight about this Bills game, talked a little bit about the Ravens. Let's quickly spin it around the league. You mentioned the fact that the Ravens won today in New England. Lamar Jackson had 218 yards passing. Holy cow. Four touchdowns, another 107 yards rushing, and a touchdown there. So if you had him on your fantasy team, congratulations. You obviously won. The other story out of that game, Luca, though, is Mac Jones appears to have a lower body injury. I have not seen specifics on it. I think you may have said something about what it is. I'll let you talk about what the specifics were there, but it sounds like he could miss some time. 
Yeah, Ian Rappaport came out uh, right before we hopped on air uh, to record this that it was a high ankle sprain and there is expected time missed. I think it was more speculation on what the time missed is. Um, I, I It was interesting because the pictures that came out of him coming off the field, I didn't know if I was going to bring this up or not, but the pictures that came out, man, you would have thought it was way worse. Not to poke fun at Mac Jones here. But uh, high ankle sprain was not the thing I was expecting to come back on that. And um, yeah, it, it sucks for New England. They're already kind of down. And uh, now it's like, hey, this offense that really was struggling and doesn't they were. I will let me I was on a TV in my living room uh, at one point, I believe. And we were watching it and New England was able to move the ball. And just when it seems like things are possible, you lose your starting quarterback. That stinks. The Ravens looked good. Um, As you pointed out, Lamar was Lamar. He ran, he threw, everything was working. Uh, Let's just hope that that gives them a little bit more uh, confidence than they should have going into the Bills game, and they kind of have a letdown. They are known to have letdowns once in a while. This is me being wishful thinking at this point. But, um, yeah, overall, sucks for Mac Jones. High ankle. We'll see how, you know, obviously we're going to keep eyes on it. We don't play the Patriots for a while, if memory serves me right. That's correct. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, otherwise, nothing really of note out of that game, uh, effectively. Uh, the Ravens wide receivers, it's impressive the amount of production they get out of Duvernay and uh, Bateman. Oh, is, Bateman, thank yeah. you. Uh, product out of Minnesota. It's impressive what they get out of those guys. Like, honestly, you, you do not look at them and go, oh, these guys can be legitimate starters in the NFL. But week in, week out, Lamar in this offense just find a way to get production. It just it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. It almost what I have seen from the Ravens so far, both in the New England game of just the rest of the season. It almost verifies and just gives you like the, oh, this is why the Ravens traded away Marquise Brown because they realized they didn't really need that guy. They just get the same production out of all these other guys anyways. So if they have this team over here in Arizona that's offering a first round pick for him, see you later. Have a good one. Enjoy Cliff Kingsbury and your boy Kyler. We'll take that first round pick and do exactly what we were doing with you out of these other guys as they step up. It's it's. They're just all system wide receivers. Everyone likes to throw on system quarterbacks. There's system wide receivers out there in Baltimore. I think Lamar Jackson is Superman. I think he is very much what we saw Josh Allen do. I think he raises the ability of everybody around him and the bills are going to have to be on their P's and Q's with him next week to not let him take over the game to Luca's point. If you're going to be down cornerbacks, this is not a terrible team to be against. The dolphins may have been one of the worst teams in the league to be trotting out two rookie cornerbacks. The Ravens might be the best. So I will also say that a lot of us grew up with the Ravens having Ray Lewis, Haloti Nada, Ed Reed, and thinking about this team as a high-powered defense. That is not the case with these Ravens. These Ravens are very suspect on defense. The Patriots certainly got their points today, and I would expect as this week goes on, knock on wood that Mitch Morris is back, knock on wood that some of these guys that left the game today were just heat exhaustion, Knox, McKenzie. Obviously, Josh Allen's okay. If the Bills are resembling a full force on offense, they should be able to get their points. Keep it locked to our Twitter throughout this week as we preview that. Just spinning it a little bit more around the league, just some high high marks here. The Bengals got their first win, 27 to 12. 
over the New York Jets. The Kansas City Chiefs lost a game today to the Indianapolis Colts 20 to 17. The Colts are now 1-1 and 1 and the Chiefs fall to 2 and 1, the same record as our Buffalo Bills. The Tennessee Titans who lost to the Bills in Buffalo on Monday night got their first win of the year 24 to 22 over the Las Vegas Raiders who fall to 0 and 3 to start the year and the shocker of the day Luca this, the loss, I almost called them San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers with Justin Herbert fell at home to the Jacksonville Jaguars by a score of 38 to 10. I understand Justin Herbert's hurt. I understand that he's playing with sore ribs. This was a team that people were talking about as a Super Bowl contender. I don't care if I'm starting at quarterback for them. You lose 38 to 10 to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I think are a little more talented than people think. It's time to hush those conversations about Super Bowl, and it's time to start the conversations about their coach, Brandon Staley. Is he really the man to elevate these Chargers? Because it seems like Luca, and we're, we don't need to have a long conversation about them, but it seems like the theme on the Chargers since Justin Herbert has shown up is they have all the talent in the world, but man, they find a way to charger, which means lose a game they should win. This wasn't even chargering. They just got stomped by a team that I don't think anybody saw going to LA and just flushing out a 38 to 10 win. Yeah, I guess, as I said earlier, I didn't think we were going to get too much into this game, but uh, here we are. Um, <laughs> so I will say this. Um, as I pointed out earlier, Justin Herbert looked kind of like a shell of himself. Um, it, maybe actually I said this off air and I guess now we're bringing it on air watching that game. When we look at their offense, Herbert is clearly affected greatly by this rib cartilage injury. Um, his, his decision-making was a little bit slower and all that kind of stuff. But the thing I, I noted to you and, uh, everything about it was his throwing motion seemed almost uncomfortable or like he was trying to throw a little harder or trying to throw harder like he normally throws. And when you see a quarterback try to throw, that's not normally a great sign. And this being a rib cartilage injury, that is one that he's most likely going to have to deal with. Rib cartilage gets less blood flow. All that kind of stuff takes longer to heal he's probably going to be dealing with this level of discomfort or something close to it for the rest of the season. That's a concern if I'm a Chargers fan. But as you pointed out, I don't care who's starting at quarterback. Chase Daniel could have been starting at quarterback and put up only 10 points, and I think my opinion on this game wouldn't change. The fact of the matter is this. They allowed 38 points to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Khalil Mack, Bosa, uh, Derwin James, all these dogs on that defensive side of the ball just let Trevor Lawrence, Christian Kirk, James Robinson, who broke a big run. Dude, James Robinson might be the freak athlete of the year because a guy who ruptured his Achilles is now out there running, you know, 45, 50 yard chunk plays and everything like that. And it is just crazy impressive. Good for him. But yeah, that defense that was supposed to elevate and get this team to that Super Bowl level contention is finding ways to lose and is just I I don't get it. Like they're just their chart, as you pointed out, Chargers Charger, man. They just always find a way to lose these games that they absolutely shouldn't. And here we are sitting. They're one and two. They won that game against the Raiders, who are currently sitting at 0 and three. So what does that say about all of that situation? And 
little did we think, you know, the AFC West was going to all of a sudden change hands and be, you know, Kansas City. Kansas City lost to the Colts, but the Colts finally were just a desperate team and had to win a game. And here they are against the flying Chiefs and found a way to win. I mean, they almost lost that game. Let me also just point out real quick about that game. The Chiefs should have not the, the most ridiculous ridiculous call stands two-point conversion I've ever seen. Travis Kelsey is clearly short, and his knee is down. They review this play and still give it to him? Blew my mind. I I was irate. The, the Bills game is going on, and I am just flipping out watching that whole thing progress. I couldn't believe, like, good for the Colts for driving and winning that game because if they lost that game by a couple points and that's what cost it, I would have bet if I was a Colts fan, like if any Colts fan would deservingly so be irate about that two point conversion being stood. I feel like even Kelsey on the sideline was like, oh, yeah, no, of course, like shrugged his shoulders and was like, yeah, obviously it stood like he's probably watching it on the scoreboard going, oh, I'm short. Like, duh, you can see it right there, ref. No worries, though. Thank you for giving me the two points for free. Uh, how you doing? Keep it moving. It, it, yeah. So and also, by the way, just a final note here. We just talked about the Chiefs losing to the Colts in Indy. Indy was a desperate team, of course, a little bit different circumstance. But I don't think Chiefs fans out there are panicking and freaking out that they just lost to the Colts. I don't think the Chiefs sitting at two and one are going, oh, no, where's the season coming to? I can't believe we just. And also, by the way, Colts fans are probably not going, oh, we just dominated or obviously they didn't dominate, but they we just beat the Chiefs. We're in it again. We're we're the ones that they got to go through. We're because they were viewed as a team that's supposed to be on the rise this season and started out very poorly. And now that they just beat the Chiefs, that doesn't change shit. As you just pointed out, they are one one and one it's a big big win because if they went to oh two and one probably a different discussion and they're freaking out over there but big win for the colts good for them uh nice to see the chiefs lose of course and um what was the final point oh yeah chargers and chargers fans i'm sorry because you guys go through a lot of suffering and everything of that nature but boy i'm with you man staley questions up man how do you keep finding ways to lose and lose emphatically sometimes to Game, you know, to teams and games that you absolutely should have the upper hand on. Like, what are you doing out there? And they were on long rest. They had 10 oh, days yeah, since playing <laughs> the Chiefs. And you almost wonder if much like the Dolphins with the Bills today, putting everything into that division rivalry that you've been building your team for, if losing that game to the Chiefs just took so much steam out of them that they were just coming out to lay an egg. I think Luca brought up a great point. The AFC West we looked at is going to be this juggernaut division, and that is not coming through. It looks like the Broncos are going to sneak away with a win here. It looks like it's just gone final 11 to 10. The Broncos beat the 49ers, so they do improve to 2 and 1. The Raiders are 0 and 3. The Chargers are 1 and 2. So it does look like this is the Chiefs division. But this is my final point of the show. Luca brought it up about the Chiefs fans. I think the next step in our maturation, Bills fans, is we have to understand where we are and where our team is. And this is the final thought I want to leave you with before we get out of here. Back in the drought days, every regular season loss felt like a catastrophe, especially if a game like today where it was there for the taking and then your team finds a way to lose, it felt like the sky was falling because in the back of your mind, in your heart of hearts, you knew that the team you were rooting for was probably at best a nine or 10 win team. And when you gave away a game, you just never knew if that was going to be the one game that cost you a shot to make the playoffs. 
That is not the world we live in. These bills, if they're at least close enough to full health as we can hope they get to, are going to be a team that's going to get 12, 13, maybe 14 wins, should coast to a playoff spot, and it's going to be, are they healthy and are they hot at the time the playoffs roll around? And for the most part, not one individual regular season game is really going to skew that. And I remember specifically feeling this way after the Titans lost last year, where they lost when Allen got knocked down behind the line of scrimmage. He slipped. And in my previous lifetime of Bill's drought fandom would have just been crushed for a week. And I remember that night almost thinking, eh, you know, that sucks, but this team is so good. I'm just not worried about them not getting enough wins to make the playoffs. I think we have to get our heads to the point. Not, I mean, it stinks to lose. Everybody hates to lose. We all wait for Sunday to roll around. We hate the dolphins. We see the bills lose and it stinks. The grand scheme of things, it's probably not going to matter that much. And you have to respect the fact that the Bills are right now one of those king of the mountain teams. And when your team is on the king of the mountain, the opponents are going to put everything into that game. It's why the Dolphins fans acted like they won the Super Bowl today. It's why the Colts fans are ecstatic that they knocked off the Chiefs. When you beat a team that everybody views as one of the best teams in the league, you feel good about your team. Ignore the noise. Focus on the Bills moving forward. Hopefully they get healthy. Hopefully they get some of their guys back. And just know that if they get relatively healthy, they are going to be a team that is in the tournament and will probably make some noise in the tournament. Luke, we cannot get out of here, though, without talking about Micah Hyde very quickly. Um, You know, obviously he's out for the year. With the Jordan Poyer contract situation, there is at least the realistic possibility that we, we have seen our last game of the Hyde Poyer combination, which predates Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. It's been here since 2017, since Sean McDermott came here to the bills. Um, I know you're a big Micah Hyde fan for, you know, reasons both on and off the field. Um, Maybe there's a little bit of a relationship there. I don't expect you to get into that here on the air, but um, just a guy that I'll just say this. You cannot replace a Micah Hyde. That there's there's no answer on the roster that replaces a Micah Hyde. First of all, what he brings to your team as a deep field defender, he's one of the best in the sport at that. But more than that, he's a calming presence. He's a leader in the locker room. And he's just a guy that when there's a play to be made, you feel like he's going to be out there making that play. And the Bills are going to miss that. I think overall, they will probably be fine because they have enough pieces on their defense when it's fully healthy, they will be fine. But it's not about that right now. It's about Micah Hyde. He has been one of, if not the heart and soul of this team since he showed up in 2017. I will always remember seeing him jumping on his teammates' shoulders in that Miami locker room at the end of 2017 when the Ravens gave up the touchdown to the Bengals, and he was kind of the face of that locker room celebration, jumping on Eric Wood and and Richie Incognito. Just a really cool scene. One of my favorite players of my Bills fan life. Um, I just can't say enough nice things about him. I wish him the absolute best in his recovery. And then the one last thing I'll say, Luca, on this before I kick it over to you is I am a dad. I am a husband. I respect the fact that like I am a Bills fan and I want the Bills to have the best players possible. And that certainly includes Micah Hyde. If he gets to a point where he decides that it's not in his best interest to continue to play football because of this and because he wants to look at life after football, where he can be the best version of himself as a father and as a husband, he's certainly somebody that if he wants to go into media, he could do that like that and excel at it. Um, I would totally respect that. And I just wish him the absolute best in whatever path he chooses, because that was a very, very scary scene. Yeah. First and foremost, the the man that is Micah Hyde 
um, is something that I respect and he is nothing but class and considerate and just an outstanding uh, human being. Um, he is definitely someone that's going to be missed in that locker room just as a person and as a player. It, it, it's always person first. I think the final point you made about being a dad and just like all that kind of stuff, but just the personal side of things. There was a there was a time in the week where we were have discussing we were discussing things like what if this is career ending? What if like it hurt me to see, but also I was starting to get my head or like see one path where maybe that was what was going on. Third neck injury since 2019, all those things. And it was just like, I want him to make sure he does what's right for him. First and foremost, this is a game. It's probably been his life for a very long time and everything. And you hear about it all the time with players that retire under their own will. Like you don't know. Even when you do know, sometimes you miss it, things like that. That's why you see some players unretire, come back to the game, whatever the circumstances, because it's their, it's their, effectively, it's their being, it's their life. It's been their life for such a long time that that's kind of, they don't know what they are without it. And I can only imagine what that feeling is like. I, I don't, I don't think I, there's ever been anything to me like what is football to professional athletes and professional football players. Um, but at the end of the day, Micah needs to make sure he does what's better, what's best for him, at, you know, now and in his future. And I was almost, it sucked losing him for the year and seeing the thing, you know, like, oh, he's out for the season, but seeing him immediately, you know, reply or, and all the things going, you know, 23 back in 23 and him being, you know, feeling like that, it was almost like a sense of relief. Like, okay, like it's not as bad as it could have been. And that's great. Like, that's an awesome thing. There was a little thing where it's a herniated disc and in Buffalo sports, especially recently, herniated discs do not go well in the situations that are with our high profile athletes. And I was really hoping we didn't go down a road similar to uh, an individual that does not to be, need to be named in another sport that doesn't relate to football. But um, luckily, we're not going down that path. It seems everything's good. Hopefully, Micah has the best health. I'm with you, too, on the football field, though, just real quick. Micah is an important player. He always comes up with a play, it seems like, when you need it. Even going back to, I believe it was 2017 against Atlanta, the game ceiling. Uh, did he have two picks that game, including the game ceiling pick? Something of that nature. I know he came up big in that game. And it was at a time where we didn't know what we had yet in that team. And as you pointed out, it was kind of, we were still in the quote unquote drought era at that point in time. And Micah came up with a huge pick. And he was always that guy for this team pre Josh Allen, even like it, he's been such a vital part of this team. He, him and Poyer, it will be really sad if we have seen the last of Hyde and Poyer, such a reliable duo back there since the beginning of the McBean era that now has found itself separated due to age and expiring contract for Poyer in this case, since it seems like Mike is coming back. Um, but when it comes to this season, I, I'm with you. I think there's enough depth and talent that as long as it can all come back healthy, you know, eventually and hopefully sooner rather than later, um, we can overcome the loss of Hyde. It's just still something within a leader, and I'm sure he'll be around the you know the dressing room and everything. Hopefully, he can be around as much as he can through recovery and everything. Um, he's going to be around. He's still going to influence as much as he can. That's the kind of character that he is. I believe his wife even tweeted out or posted about it as well. That's just the individual he is. I'm sure he's going to be around as much as he can, and he's going to be a leader to this team 
that he was even when dressed and ready to go on game days. Um, but it's just overall, it's unfortunate. I'm happy that it's not career ending for our sakes that we get to still enjoy him, but I'm glad that he's in his place where he doesn't need to call his career quits early due to this unfortunate thing. And, uh, we wish him all the best. Yeah. Um, it's, so he was in Miami today for those that don't know. So he's going to be around the team. He and Poyer were both there, you know, they were in meetings all week. So, I mean, their, their impact is still going to be felt Poyer's hopefully on the field here soon. Um, you know, when it comes to Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and thinking about maybe this being the last time we see them on the field together, for those of you office fans out there, um, there's a quote by Andy Bernard that I think rings true here with Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. And that's kind of how I feel about Hyde and Poyer is they were so good together for so long and now it's possibly over whether it's Hyde not being able to come back or Poyer's contract situation. We just never know what the future holds, but we wish him the best. What we do know about the future is Luca and I will be back next week, next Sunday night, hopefully talking about the three and one Buffalo bills, but no matter what, we'll be back talking about the game against the Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson against Josh Allen. Cannot wait for that. And we would love it for you to keep it locked into the built in Buffalo podcast network all week. We will keep you up to date on all Buffalo Bills injury news at this point and get you ready for that game in Baltimore. And until next Monday morning, we will see you next time on Bills Chat. Bills Chat.